Thanks, Brian. Good morning. If we haven't got a chance to meet, my name is Lance. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is a delight. Um, most weeks, at least a lot of time that I'm here, I get to consider the Bible with you. And we're going to do that over the next few minutes from Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians chapter 4, if you have a Bible with you, please uh, grab that. I suppose there'd be some screens to turn on, maybe, for a few of us. And then uh, if you need a Bible, there should be a hardcover one right in front of you. So I'd invite you, if you get a chance, to go ahead and grab one of those. And we're going to be considering uh, near the end of the fourth chapter of Ephesians in just a minute. I recognize a few things as we get going. Uh, First is that it's likely that you haven't had a chance to be here most weeks or all weeks for for sure. This summer, like most, means that there's been a lot of mobility, a lot of in and out. My guess is that for some of you, you're even visiting here because you're with family and there's celebrations going on. Those are all good and delightful things. Uh, And we're happy that you are able to join us here or some of people watching over, uh, over the live stream. The thing that I know about that, though, is in addition to it being a mobile summer and people in and out, it also means that when I say, let's go ahead and jump in to Ephesians chapter 4, it probably feels a little bit discombobulating, like out of nowhere, and so I want to get us up to speed on what it is that we're talking about. What am I trying to get at? What do I believe that if we would hear it together, if we would be united around it, that perhaps God would, would help us, He'd care for us? And the thing that we've been talking about through the entirety of the summer is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 tells us the kind of fruit that the Spirit brings about in someone's life. Now, there's a lot of evidence of a Spirit of someone. There are things that the Spirit of God does all throughout Scripture, sometimes miraculous like insane kind of things. The Spirit can bring freedom from bondage. The Spirit can bring life from death. The Spirit can bring utterances and prophetic words and all kinds of things. But what my observation would be is that some of what the Spirit does, He's free to do because He's God after all and He can do whatever He wants. Some of what He does is specific, it is contextual, And it is given not in the same measure necessarily to everyone or every experience. However, Scripture does tell us there are some things that the Spirit does that He does universally. In other words, His intention is for everyone in certain things. And this list, it seems, from Galatians chapter 5 that gives us these character qualities are one of those kind of works of the Spirit of God. The kind of thing that you can take to the bank. The kind of thing that when the Spirit of God indwells us, He is going to be about. No one gets to opt out of these kind of things. And so you may live an entire life and you say, here's the thing, I never once had a liver sugar. I never once was wakened in the middle of the night and had someone writing on my wall. I never once got to, well, maybe some other people haven't either, but just bear with me. I never once got to like just put my hands out and someone fell down or something. You know what I mean? You know what I'm, you know what I'm getting at? with the way that people would say, here's the evidence of the Spirit in my life. You might live your entire Christian life, and I believe you could be joyful and faithful and productive and all those things. You might not have any of those experiences. But I have a conviction that I do not believe you can live the entirety of your Christian life and say, I have been void of this list of characteristics and qualities. Because it is the Spirit of God 
that takes from God. When Jesus said, I am going away and it's better that I go because I'm going to send the Spirit, he said, here's what the Spirit's going to do. He's going to take from me and give to you. He's going to take from me and give to you. And so for those of us who are Christians, little Christs, this list of the fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit is giving us, bar none. The things that define Jesus, who he is and what he's done, the Spirit of God grabs from him and gives to us. That's the work of God universally for all of us who have Jesus. And so what we're trying to do over the course of the summer is to take a good look, to ask the question, do I see this fruit? Would others see this fruit? Am I growing in these areas? And we've taken a week at a time and we've attempted to meditate on the words that are in the list from Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Now a couple things about this. I've mentioned it every single week and I'll just keep on keeping on. This is not a personality test. We don't take the list of the nine character qualities from the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and say, oh, I'm going to see which one I am. This is not spiritually sanctioned Enneagram 2.0. I guess in this case it would be 1.0 and every other thing would be a, an imitation. So it's not a personality test. God is not designing a group of Christians where some of them are the joyful ones and some of them are the kind ones. And then sometimes you'll bump in even to a loving one. This is, in whole, the fruit of the Spirit, growing up together in a garden. This means a couple of things, and I recognize this from the outset. It means that when we focus on one of these, I'm going to run the temptation of us seeing this in isolation from the others. And so I want to avoid the idea somehow that we can get at any one of these things and have it be divorced from the rest of our world. They are connected. It means that this morning when we focus on kindness from Ephesians chapter 4, you're going to hear things that sound a lot like, well, that just seems loving, or that just seems peaceable. That seems like what patience would be or what joy would be. And the answer to that is, yes, it does seem like those things because these are connected by the life of the Spirit of God. So that being said, I want to read, starting in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to consider what kindness looks like. What does kindness look like in God's people? When the Spirit of God has had His way and moved in us, what kind of things will we see? How will we talk? How will we act? How will we regard one another? And this is one of many sections uh, it could choose from almost any epistle, almost any letter in Scripture, because it turns out that once the gospel has been presented and the assumption has been made that the Spirit of God has come, there's this entire list of applications, and oftentimes it sounds like just applying the fruit of the Spirit. So let's see what Ephesians has to say. This is Ephesians 4, 25. I'm going to read through 32, and then we're going to pray together. It says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion 
that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That last verse again, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's take a moment and pray together. God, it is my desire that we would have a shared testimony, a shared faith, a shared confession here this morning, that it would be our confidence that Christ has forgiven us, that you in Jesus were reconciling the world to yourself, not holding its trespasses against us, but forgiving and bringing near and welcoming And I ask that we wouldn't gloss over that this morning. Please, Spirit of God, move in us a sincere faith. Help us to see the reality of our need and the depth of our sin. And that whatever it is in us that makes us overlook or be sort of yawning about or just tired of hearing the good news that our sins could be forgiven, God, awaken us. Humble us to realize the depth of our need. I pray too, God, that you would bring comfort here this morning, that you would move to meet our needs, to care for us. One of our needs is to understand Scripture better. So I pray you'd give us eyes to see, Spirit of God. One of our needs is to apply Scripture more consistently in our lives. And so I pray, Spirit of God, give us grace. Help us to not be so insane as to see truth, as to read it, and then to walk away unchanged. We want to be more like Jesus. I pray especially this morning for doubt and distraction, for tiredness of mind and body and soul. We've come into your presence, and in your presence there is refreshing there's renewal. So God, move and work and have your way in us. We offer ourselves, our time. I pray, Spirit of God, would you take my words or our thinking and our reading and please make them not only benefit us, but help us to love God and neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've lived a few places. I grew up in North Dakota, right on the Minnesota border, near Canada, and had lots of interactions with all three of those kinds of people, which is a pretty narrow swath of the world when you think about it. Canadian white Midwestern people and Minnesota white Midwestern people and North Dakota people. But then I lived for a little while in Northwest Arkansas And I traveled the world for a few years doing missionary kind of things. Then I moved to Orlando and lived in central Florida, which is not the south, in case you didn't know that. You You go south to get north in Florida, that's how it works. And then I've lived here for eight years. And one thing that I found very, very interesting about all the places that I've lived is that there is an ongoing story that people tell about themselves, about the kind of people they are. There's phrases for this. 
The most common or maybe well-known phrase that I grew up with was called Minnesota nice. And I'm not sure if it was an insult or not. I still can't tell. Because people would say it with a kind of grin, like everyone knew what that was and they weren't very ashamed of it, but then when it came around down to it, I think the definition was something like this, Minnesota not nice, or pretending or fake nice. But no matter how it was meant, whenever it was said, it brought on a conversation about how people are or what they are. You know, but in North Dakota, we're like this. Oh, we're like this or we're like that. And almost all of the comparisons had to do with how someone would treat you if you tried to get to know them or how someone would interact with you if you were a stranger or whether or not they would help you. And here's just an observation. Moving to the South, it's very, very similar. I hear people tell stories about themselves. Well, let me tell you something. Down here in the South, we, and then fill in the blanks. We care about talking, or we care about family, or we take time and we slow down, or we're not like, usually it's in comparison to other people. Sometimes I agree. Generally, if there's comparisons to people from the Northeast, I agree. But here's, uh, here's my conclusion. Usually, the more that a people, any group of people, insist on their niceness or talk about themselves in comparison to others, usually that means that they're insecure about it and they shouldn't have to talk about it if it were true. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's like I tell my kids all the time, don't tell someone you're cool. If you're cool, they'll know. It's the most uncool thing in the world to insist you're cool. And it's funny how often people insist they're nice. In fact, I would say one of the most nice places as far as niceness goes that I've ever been to is the nation of, of Turkey. Now, it could be that I was numerous inches taller than most of them, and get this, at one point I had just really weighty, floppy, bright blonde hair. I was blonde my whole life, legitimately. I, tell, I forget that I have to tell people that now because where I'm from, it's normal. So it could be that I was in a you know, a complete anomaly in the world and everyone just wanted to talk to me kindly like I was a circus act, or they were really nice. And I think that they were actually really kind because the people around me were experiencing the same sort of thing. In other words, at the moment of meeting someone, it seemed that they had guards down, minds open, hands ready to give, receiving, welcoming, there was a, in many instances, a sort of kindness that was obvious, something that maybe I longed for or wanted. And so I guess, if I'm honest, it's not just the people who live in places that tell stories about themselves. I am constantly keeping some sort of track of whether or not any group of people are kind or what they're like. And I think that what, what that means about people generally, and maybe what it means about me, is that I have a longing for, a desire for, and I recognize and it feels refreshing to me when I meet actual, genuine kindness. I think there's something about the fallenness of the world, the, the harshness of it, the fact that we grow to be and maybe perhaps learn to be very guarded in all that we do because at any moment you could be stabbed you realize very quickly, and if you haven't before middle school, I guarantee it'll happen in middle school, you'll realize how unkind people can be and what that feels like. 
I think that there is a longing in every person to be reset to, the idea that you could be welcomed, that you could be cared for, that someone might think of you and your needs, and then with genuine interest, not self-service or self-interest, but genuine interest, desire your good. That kind of thing seems so refreshing, so unbelievable, that we all have a, a meter going on and, a, and a, a list of whether or not that's taking place. Now, that might have been the most judgmental, stereotypical five-minute intro to a sermon of all time. I don't know. You right now might be saying to yourself, I can't believe he talked about Northeasterners like that. How unkind. I don't know. Except to say that I believe that kindness is something we all notice, we all register, and there is something of God in genuine, real kindness that all of us can recognize very quickly. I know that it's of God because when we're told what we're supposed to be like when the Spirit of God lives in us, we're supposed to be kind. We are supposed to apply the things that we have been given from God and then give that out to others. I think kindness, more than the first few weeks of meditation that we've done on the fruits of the Spirit, kindness is something that is very difficult to hide. It is not internal in the way that some of the rest are. In other words, you, when you think of peace, you might think to yourself, well, peace could be a condition of the heart. It's an internal thing. And so long as I'm not actively warring, I don't know what it looks like to peace someone else. Patience, generally an internal thing. You'll know you're patient when you won the internal battle, and hopefully the people around me don't even know. Joy, love, oftentimes internal conditions of heart. But here's the thing about kindness. Kindness leaks out. Kindness bumps into others. Kindness either happens or it doesn't. Kindness is a description of the way or the, the positioning of when one human being bumps into another. When we run into each other, how does the interaction go? William Wordsworth, which I think that was his real name, and what a name for a man who wrote and, a and a, was a, a poet, old Bill Wordsworth. He said, the best portion of a good man's life, the best portion of a good man's life, his little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. What's interesting to me is I read through that and I thought, well, there's something that rings true in that. The best portion of a good man's life is little nameless, unremembered act of kindness and of love. But then I thought to myself, what other kind of acts of kindness are there? Aren't nearly all of them, isn't that what makes them kind? If it was something greater than that, it would be a grand gesture or some sort of outrageous act. But see, that's the thing about kindness. There are very few qualities that are so evident, meaning they have to show up when you bump into other people, that are so evident and yet so small and oftentimes unremembered. Little, nameless, unremembered act of kindness. That's the way Wordsworth put it. And I think that's going to be true of us. That kindness will be the kind of thing that happens in the small, mundane, over and over moments of life 
and kindness will spill out because of the kind of people we are. We will have received a certain type of kindness, a certain kind of love from God, and therefore when we bump into other people, kindness will naturally come. They will be unremembered acts. They will be little. They will often be nameless because we're not trying to be kind after all. We simply have received a certain kind of spirit and then see other people through that spirit. And so when we bump into them, they receive or experience kindness. This phrase in Ephesians chapter 4, at the end of a long list of the things that we ought to do, Ephesians 4 comes after Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, of course. And the reason that he's writing this is because he is assuming that they've understood the gospel. They've received from God, and therefore they should live in a certain way. And he summarizes all that they are to do. I mean, he hits everything in the section of Ephesians chapter 4. He hits lying and anger and laziness, bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander. He puts all these things away, and then he summarizes near the end by saying, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And then there's this little phrase that I think is a helpful one for this morning, a good reminder for us that when we're considering the fruit of the Spirit, even as we do week by week, that what we're really considering is God. We're considering and asking and then answering the question, what is God like? So Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 32 said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, and then throws a huge standard in front of us, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, all the fruits of the Spirit might be wonderful personality traits, they might get us far into the world, they might be pleasant in some way, but if they don't describe God, then they are robbed of their real worth. We want the Spirit of God to give us the fruit of the fruit of the Spirit of God, because we want to be like God, more like Him. We want to explain and to understand and to be representatives of God's image into the world. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to consider the kindness of God. What does that mean that God is kind? If it's His Spirit that brings us kindness, and if we're to be kind to other people as God in Christ forgave us, then let's get at, first and foremost, a path to kindness is going to include what God's kindness is like. So maybe a first point for this morning would be to state this most obvious fact, but then to rest on it a little while, God is kind. And this is something that must be insisted upon. God is kind. A second, a second statement for the morning, then, for us to be thinking about is that we are to be kind. God is kind we are to be kind. And then finally, I'm going to talk about or think about the way we get kindness. So it'll be those things that we think about this morning. First, a simple fact, God is kind. Then, an assumption or something that follows, we are to be kind. And then finally, how do we get kindness? So here's a few things to consider as we look at the kindness of God. First and foremost, I think this is one of the best parts of the good news of the gospel. I often think at Christmas time, when everyone celebrates the coming of Jesus, that God has entered into the world, I often think at Christmas time, I hope people really have thought this through and do see it as good news. Because just that God showed up into a broken, sinful world didn't necessarily mean it was good news. It could be your parents coming to your room to finally make you clean it. It could be the cops rapping at your door. 
could be the IRS finally uncovering the scheme. For a whole world of sinful folks, someone parading around, in this case John the Baptist, parading around and saying, God is coming, God is coming, God is coming. What he really said in the midst of that, and the thing that he said first and that we ought to remember is, repent, God is coming. Repent, God is coming. Because he knew something. He knew that just the fact that God was coming doesn't necessarily make it good news. Here's the good news. God came, and he came in kindness. He came to speak a good word. He came to bring love and to bring welcome. That fact changes everything. The difference between someone who is a mere deist, who acknowledges a kind of spirituality, a man up there, some sort of other spiritual power, and a Christian, is that a person has seen what God is like, not just that he is some spiritual power, but that he is personal and he is kind and he has welcomed us. That is good news. 1 Peter chapter 2, I love one of the most simple descriptions of someone who has a real genuine spiritual awakening. This is what 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 3 says, if indeed, there's a long list of things to do or things to recognize, and then it just says this, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now what a phrase, talk about tons of meaning in very few words. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Now, here's something interesting about this word good here. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, same word as kind in Ephesians chapter 4. So here's the question for all. Have you tasted, have you experienced, is it your testimony, your confession that you met God and that he was good? A lot of people have a hard time believing this. They see God as a harsh taskmaster. They see God as someone who is judge and judge only. They see God as a massive, giant killjoy. But to meet God and to experience His goodness, His kindness, to sense His acceptance, His forgiveness, the freedom that comes with knowing that He loves you and you're His, that changes everything. Knowing that the Lord is good, knowing that He's kind, the same word from Ephesians chapter 4, have you tasted that the Lord is kind? Knowing that He's kind moves someone from being fearfully religious, going through the motions, to being gratefully a child. From someone who with trepidation would dare not look to being the kind of spirit that cries out, Father. This is good news. This is the testimony of the Bible. We cannot get the fruit of the spirit of kindness until we've recognized and realized this is what God is like. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. In fact, earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, we have the same kind of wording to describe what God is like. This is what the gospel means. God is kind. You could run around out into the streets and you'd be very close to proclaiming the gospel if you just screamed over and over and over again, God is and he's kind. God is and he's kind. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, one small little reminder at the beginning of chapter 2, he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what the world is like. That's what you and I are like, dead in trespasses and sins. Then verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and, se- with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, those are always important words in the Bible, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The gospel is so that God can show himself, prove himself to be kind. He has offered us the riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. He's made us alive. He's forgiven us our sins so that he could prove himself to be kind. The idea that God is mean is a sinful, proud thought. You know, all of us have at different times, I believe, some measure of playing the the victim pretty well. And there's something in all of us, I think, that needs to be killed. And here's that thought. The thought is is that God is unkind and God is mean and God is a taskmaster simply because he follows the rules. God has set a standard into the world and he's going to insist that righteousness be upheld. He cannot abide evil even for one instance. And there's something in the midst of that that make us see him as harsh. You ever experienced that? Or you've seen someone, maybe I'll remove it from you personally so you don't feel judged. You ever seen someone blatantly and obviously break a rule or some sort of standard that they agreed upon and everyone knew was there, and then when the person tries to hold them accountable, they, they act as though that person is the worst human being in the world? They're now the victim? I think for many of us, We have a a hidden grudge against God because he insists on upholding the standards. He never once for an instant lets up. But God is not unkind. He is not mean. He has made us alive together in Christ. He has seated us with himself. He's brought us near and shown us his grace in kindness. God is kind. And what it means, if it means anything, what it means to confess your sins and to find life in Christ, what it means is to be numbered among those who stands up and recognizes and sees, desires God and runs to Him and wants to be found in Him because you realize He is good. You've not gotten very far in Christianity if that is not your story. Against the backdrop of all that you have done, against the backdrop of all of your selfishness, against the backdrop of all of our, I'm going to say our, I'll include myself, all of our hardness of heart, all of our neglect, all of our distractions and confusion, God still kind. What an amazing statement. Romans chapter 2 Very, very similar thing to describe the gospel itself. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. What ultimately leads any person to repent? What ultimately leads anyone to be willing to give up control of their own lives and to admit that they have need? What is it that finally turns someone From a kingdom of self to saying, I need and desire God, it is an awareness wrought in us by the Spirit of God Himself that God is kind and will treat us with love 
in Christ. So the thing to say about this particular measure, when we bump into God, what happens? When we come confessing sins and in humility and desire Jesus, what happens? And the testimony of the Bible over and over and over again is that God is kind. He has regard for us. And it is therefore because of the simple statement, God is kind. And I think I've already stated, I mean, whether or not you agree with that statement and where you land on it pretty well separates the world. God is kind. Because of that statement then, and it's because we have His Spirit in us that inevitably what He is doing in us is making us kind. Therefore, we should be kind. I think it's important to remember as we go through these fruits of the Spirit that we are simply meant to reflect God whose image we bear. And maybe I'll just say it starkly like this. The jump from God is kind to therefore we should be kind is bridged by the fact that we have the Spirit of God. And if you claim the Spirit of God over the course of time, but you don't act like Him, or you don't, if you don't say to yourself, oh, whatever He's like, I need to be growing like that, then you may have a different spirit. And I think that's the, that's the, the thing that clinches them together. So what will kindness look like in us? Well, kindness is not just a New Testament thing. I want to state that right up front. In fact, if you look through examples of kindness throughout Scripture, it's amazing how many times that word and the concept pops up, not in New Testament lists like what I just read, but in Old Testament stories of warring armies and kings and families that needed help and wells that needed to be dug. Kindness is a principle of the way that people functioned from the beginning, and that makes sense because God created everything, of course, from the beginning. Here's a few of the, some of my favorite. I cherry-picked some ideas from the Old Testament to remind us that kindness, as well as being commanded all throughout the New Testament, has always been a concept. Solomon, writing in Proverbs, tells us in Proverbs chapter 12, one of my favorite, whoever is righteous has regard, as this word is a concept that's sometimes translated kindness or goodness, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast. The mercy of the wicked is cruel. Even the mercy of the wicked is cruel. That phrase, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast. Now that does not mean that you should put your dog in a stroller. Sorry, that's just a little commentary. Anybody seen this? Anyway. I, is it judgmental? So I, we were on a trip this summer, and I saw this young couple, and I was so pumped for them because there was a stroller, and Sarah and I are like, oh, let's go see the baby, and I turned the corner, and it was a little foofy dog. <laughs> they were pushing. It was like they brought him to Disney, and I just couldn't. I just could not. So maybe they're just over-applying Proverbs 12.10. I don't know what they're doing. But the reality here, he says, whoever is righteous, whoever is a good person, whoever has their life aligned in a proper, proper perspective has regard. In other words, kindness will come out even for the life of his beast. I think the NIV says, has kindness for the life of his animals. We got a puppy about four years ago, and to teach my boys how to treat him, my wife has this little chalkboard, I don't it's a Hobby Lobby thing, I don't know. You can imagine it, right? Some wood somewhere in a basket and then a chalkboard. One of a thousand variations of that. 
but it's right above the room where the kids put all of their backpacks and it's where the dog stays. And she wrote Proverbs 12.10, a good man has regard for the life of his beast because my kids sometimes need to be reminded to be kind and that they do have an animal that if they don't feed in water, well, we won't talk about what will happen. Proverbs 11.17, the pragmatism of kindness, not just to beasts, a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Now, isn't this a double-edged sword? A man who is kind benefits himself. You can read that and say, yes, because kindness is like God in the world, because kindness is what we've been designed to be, yes. But I also read that, and I can recognize that in fallenness, people can use this well as, as well. Because we've all encountered and maybe even felt in ourselves when kindness is not so much kindness as flattery. When interest in others is not so much interest in others as interest in self. When kindness is really a kind of complicated long game of back scratching. Does that make sense? Or you scratch, you know what I'm saying. However, this is a fact in the world. A man who is kind benefits himself. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. These are the words of the Bible. And because God has been kind to us, then we are to be kind to others. It means that when we encounter other people and bump into them, that our instinct is not for self-preservation but rather for their good. We regard others. We consider what we have. We consider our words. Ephesians chapter 4 is so interesting how often he describes words. Put away falsehood and slander and, un and corrupting talk. One of the first modes, the most obvious modes of kindness is to speak words that build up. We are to be kind because we are like God who is kind, and one of the things that we can do is be kind in what we speak. It's a good test for us. Do the words that I say and how I use what is on my tongue, does it benefit others? Ever thought about how terrifying it would be? to just get a running manuscript of all the things that you say and then someone go through it and look for tone or that kind of thing. I heard about a counselor one time who could spend one hour with a married couple. He would record everything that they said and then give them a report afterward on the likelihood of them to get a divorce. And he had some sort of insane track record. Now, I don't know if he was making it up and maybe he was getting these people at the end of their rope. I, mean, I don't know where... He's getting them from, but he had an insane tracker to the point that it showed up in like the New York Times or something. And someone interviewed him and they said, well, what's your secret? How could you spend one hour with a couple and understand and get this so right? And he essentially said, well, here's the deal. I've come up with a, a rubric, a test. And what he described was a test of simple and basic kindness. He said, I record in tone of voice and then looks on faces and the depth of eye rolls and the number of times someone gets cut off, and I can just so easily tell. In other words, what he just listens for is tone of voice and kind of words and pacing of words. 
The pathway of the tongue and the way that they interacted with spouse gave a massive indication of the health of their marriage. These are such simple things. Don't you hate it sometimes when life is so simple? Don't you hate it when it really matters and you have to be reminded, oh yeah, I need to consider the words that I say. It's not okay to be constantly impatient. It's not okay to be constantly sarcastic. It's not okay to cut off others. It's not okay to put down. It's not okay to slander. It's not okay to paint with your words the most extreme, terrible example of someone that you, you know is wrong. The things that we speak show our kindness. The things that we forgive, Ephesians chapter 4 says, shows our kindness. We are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Kindness is that disposition that says, I understand and have taken stock of and realize your weaknesses. More than that, I realize your intentional offenses, sometimes even toward me, but kindness will look like this. I am opening my hand and giving up the right to pay you back. I'm going to offer goodness to you even if or exactly when you've offered badness to me. This is what God is like. He's not unaware of. He's not only kind to us until he finds out what we're really like. In fact, it's the depth of his kindness that's on display because he treats us that way when he knows everything about what we're really like. You ever heard someone say, and I've caught myself saying it oftentimes too, Oh man, this thing would be easy, it'd be great if it wasn't for people. Now, every job's great, it's just the people. And I usually hear, at least in myself, a cry for help whenever I say a sarcastic, cynical comment like that. It's a cry for help that says something like, I just can't take it. I'm not ready to forgive the way that I've been forgiven. I'm not ready to be kind the way that God has been kind to me. I'm tired of being kind. That's usually what I'm trying to say. And my prayer and my hope is that it's in those moments that I remember what God is like and I remember where I feel the Spirit of God moving me toward others to say, kindness, regard, welcome toward others is non-optional. So God is kind, simple statement. Therefore, because we have the Spirit of God, we are to be imitators of Him. We ought to be kind. And then perhaps the best and the greatest reminder in the midst of all of these, how do we get kindness then? Do I have a Norman Vincent Peale book for you? Who's the guy, Carnegie? There's like a whole book on kindness. How to Win Friends and Influence People. You read this book? It's actually a really great book because there's so many simple, dumb things in there. It's like that one guy with financial advice. He's like built a whole empire on being a genius. Like his whole genius is like, here's the deal. If you don't have money, don't spend it. And you just think to yourself, what? <laughs> and I remember reading the Carnegie book. I get to the end of it and I'm like, oh my goodness, this guy wrote, built a whole career on telling people, here's the thing, actually care about other human beings and remember their name and be interested in them. 
So these are obvious, simple things. And perhaps this is going to be a simple thing, but I want to say it now, and I think it applies over all of the fruits of the Spirit. I do not want you to walk away this morning thinking that your goal ought to be to get more kindness or simply to get more kind. Because the way that these things work is you never get the thing by aiming at it. It's a fruit. I'm not saying to you, try harder and and just get more fruit. These things come by one path, the Spirit of God. The way we get more joy is the Spirit of God. The way that we become more loving is the Spirit of God. The way that we find more peace in life is not by longing for and just trying to just, just strive out more peace. No, it's a gift, a miracle, a fruit of the Spirit of God. And the way that we will be more kind, have more regard for others, be more welcoming to them, stop insisting on what we need, being more willing to forgive, the way that we get there, the only miraculous way to actually get genuine, deep kindness, not Minnesota nice, but real nice, is to get more of God. It is the Spirit of God that gives the fruit of the Spirit of God. How much more simple can it be than this? And yet I forget it all the time. Here's the question. Let's say you're moved by today and you're like, you know what, I need to be more kind. I remember the thing we talked about. I need to be more kind. Don't wake up tomorrow morning and put kind up on your board. You don't need another, I, I saw the like be kind billboards. You don't need another cross-stitch thing. Don't go to Hobby Lobby to get the reminder. Don't wake up in the morning and say, kindness, just kindness, just be kind. Here's what you do. If you know that you need kindness in your life, if you long to be this kind of person, then here's what we do. We wake up every single morning and we place ourselves before God and we say, please, Father, send your spirit. Make me alive from the inside out. Don't have me spend a whole day striving to pretend to be something and just get exhausted by the end of it and say, this is for somebody else. I can't keep doing this. No, it is the life of God from the depth of our being that makes these things overflow as fruit. I'm going to read Luke chapter 11. Luke 11 is an amazing chapter. Jesus is teaching on prayer. We get things in Luke 11, things you might have heard of, things like the Lord's Prayer. But in addition to him speaking on prayer, he has this starting in verse 9 of Luke 11. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, an egg will give him a scorpion. As a side note, Jesus is funny. He asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Listen to verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? One application of us tasting that the Lord is good, one way we declare that God is kind and I need to be kind is to ask Him for His Spirit. I wonder if we've fallen out of practice in actually asking our Father to give us the Holy Spirit. 
doesn't it seem like the best thing that we could do, the best application, the best way to get more kindness in us is to actually pause and to pray and to say, God, please give us your spirit. I don't have your spirit. Whatever spirit I have ain't working. I need more of you. And so I wonder if you wouldn't join with me in a simple application this morning. Do you have it in you to long for more of the Spirit of God? Can you even imagine what it would be like if our good Father who promises to give when we ask, could you even imagine what it would be like if He poured out His Spirit on us? Could you imagine what it would be like to not have to strive and be exhausted to try to be a certain kind of peace person, but to know from the depth of your being that you're received and welcomed and therefore you give? It's a simple application, but as far as I can tell, it's the only path to genuine, lasting kindness, the only thing that matters. So please pray with me. God, I don't want to just ask for kindness in a generic way over the church. I don't want us to be a nice place full of nice people because it's easier and more peaceable. I long to be an example in the world, God, of of your true movement, of your actual life in us. So I pray, Father, would you hear us now? We're struggling under the weight of the world and our lack of character and our need to be more of these things. And I pray for freedom and for lightness. Father, send your spirit. Give us faith. We're asking, and you've said that you would give to those who ask, that when we seek, that we would find. So we ask, Holy Spirit, come. Find us and help us to find you. I pray that tomorrow and the next day and this afternoon and through the months and years of our lives that we would find life from the depth of our being. God, less of us and more of you. Spirit of God, move, dwell, take hold of us. Give us open hands, softened hearts. Help us to taste and to see that you are good. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.